Today's teaching is from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, replied Abraham. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, Park Hill Church. It is such a pleasure to be with you today virtually. Um, we are counting down the days where we can be together in person and so excited and looking forward to that. Um, until then, it's a joy to gather with you from week to week in your homes, um, outdoors, in your car, wherever you are watching uh, and, and joining in today. We are so excited to be with you. And um, yeah, so my name is Tanika Wyatt. You already heard from my husband. We um, are just excited to be the marriage and family pastors here and be a part of this beautiful body of believers. It has been a joy getting to know more of you. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to all that God is doing. And um, yeah, so excited to be with you today. Um, before I get into the word, I want to say a prayer and um, just really invite the Spirit in. He is here already. I've had such a wonderful time being here on site and just um, leaning into worship with, with those who are here. So and I know you're doing the same at home. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your grace, your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, that you meet us where we are, wherever that is. God, we thank you that um, you are very present help in troubled times. And um, God, that nothing that we endure takes you by surprise. I thank you, God, for what you're going to speak today. I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds um, to receive what you have, our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you. And um, God, I pray that you would just heal us. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're plagued with. And I pray, oh God, that in this gathering, in this moment, um, wherever we are, that you would meet us, that your spirit would be, um, God, palatable among us. We just love you. We thank you, God. We anticipate um, your spirit overtaking us, and we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if you've been tracking with us, you know um, that we've been talking about life in the spirit. The spirit is the outpouring of God himself onto humanity, illuminating and equipping the church as we follow Jesus and look more like him, as we follow him from day to day. Um, the Holy Spirit is an essential part of the life of every believer. Jesus said to his disciples that it was good, that it's best actually, that he go away um, just so the Holy Spirit would come. 
And so after being on the earth for 33 years and walking with his disciples for three years, living with them, eating with them, teaching them, um, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16 that he had to go away. Now, they responded just like any of us would, right, with grief and sadness at the thought that they may never see him again. Can you imagine no more Jesus? I cannot even fathom the thought. But he said it. Um, He said that it's best that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the comforter, the encourager, the Holy Spirit um, would not come. And essentially what he was saying is, I will no longer be with you in this physical body, but my spirit will be in you. And not just in you, but in all those who believe and call on my name after you. My spirit will be with them, a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. So I want to talk to you today about what that life in the spirit looks like. More specifically, the spirit and worship. Often when we hear worship, we think of singers and musicians leading us in um, our, our gatherings, maybe at the beginning, um, ending the, the service, or you may think of moments in your home or in your car where you're alone and you're listening to music or you're in prayer and your hands are lifted, um, water is running down your face, um, For many of us, worship has become synonymous to a feeling in a moment, uh, music or church services, weekly gatherings. And I don't want I don't want to completely dismantle your ideas of um, church programs and services. But I do want us to take a deeper look into the biblical view of worship. Um, And let's go deeper than what we've grown accustomed to to understanding. So the first mention of worship is in the scripture, in the scriptures is from Genesis chapter 22, verses one through eight. This is the story of Abraham preparing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Many of you are familiar with Abraham. Um, He began his journey with God as Abram, And this was before the time of Israel. So there was no chosen people of God with laws and practices given by him. Um, But so generations after Noah and the great flood, God called Abram out from his family and led him by faith to a place he had never seen before. And he promised he would make him a great nation. So Abraham journeyed with God walking by faith and developing a relationship, a friendship with God. God proved during that time that he could do impossible things, that he was the only true and living God. So God made a covenant with Abram, changed his name to Abraham, promised he would make him the father of many nations, that his children would be as great in number as the stars in the sky or the ocean sands, and that the promise would be fulfilled through his son of promise, Isaac. So let's zero in on these scriptures once again, starting at verse two of Genesis chapter 22. So this is God speaking to Abraham and he says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, 
Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire and for a burnt offering and set out the place and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. (sighs) I've read this story so many times. Um, I know this story. We're reading this thousands of years after it occurred and after hearing it countless times, many of us, we know the outcome. But my hands are a little um, sweaty just as I, I, I get the image of, of what Abraham is actually doing. Um, so, but because we know this story, it, it may be lost on some of us, the shock value of it. For some, maybe the absurdity of this request is overlooked. Take your only son, the one you love so much, and offer him as a burnt offering. Can you imagine that? If you're, if you're like me, you don't even want to. It's too gruesome and sadistic to consider the practice of animal sacrifice, except it's not an animal, it's your own flesh and blood. The horror of this request was not lost on Abraham, for he had offered up sacrifices many times before, but never one like this. But Abraham, who walked with God, who had seen him rain fire down from heaven, uh, witnessed him intervene time after time with on his behalf with kings and rulers and had provided him great riches. Abraham, whose wife at 90 years old conceived and bore him a son, just like God said he would or just like God said she would while he himself was 100 years old. Abraham heard these words from God took his son, some wood, and he went to worship. Does this sound like worship to you? It's not what we typically, um, it's not what typically comes to mind when we hear worship. But God allows this very first mention of the word to set the precedence that worship involves sacrifice. Worship involves an altar. Worship hinges on relationship and intimacy with God, where he speaks to me. I listen. I trust him and obey. The word for worship here in the Hebrew is shakah, which means to bow down or to fall down flat. It is a picture of humility before Yahweh. At first glance, it doesn't appear that what Abraham is doing on this mountain, that as he goes up, it doesn't appear that he's going up to worship. This doesn't look like worship. We read this story and we know that God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So how can Abraham call this worship? For years, Abraham waited 
trying to comprehend God's plan to make him a great nation. How will you do that when I have no kids? I'm old. My wife is old. She's barren. And he even tried to help by uh, having a child with Hagar, Sarah's wife. But God refuses Hagar's son, Ishmael, and says, no, I'm going to take your 90-year-old barren wife, Sarah, and through her provide a son to fulfill my promise. So Ishmael is not the son of promise. Isaac is the one God has chosen, yet he requires him for a sacrifice. How is this worship? How is this worship? But Abraham surrenders to God completely in his obedience and he bows himself low, submitting to the Father's will and putting what he loves most on the altar. This this floors me. Many times we can't put the TV on the altar. We can't put social media on the altar. We can't put food and relationships and prioritize things right. There's so many things that I have to put on the altar and I'm struggling, but Abraham puts his son on the altar for sacrifice. His faith as God is being tested, no doubt. Did he love him and trust him enough to give up what he waited for? the very promise itself, this is real worship where there is sacrifice and there is an altar. When we look at Abraham and what he called worship, we have to ask ourselves, what are we putting on the altar? Are we chasing God, chasing after God himself? Or are we more interested in his promises and what he can give us, the things that he can provide. Are we willing to walk with God and stay the course, even if our promises die on the altar? Can we worship him when we are isolated in our homes with the threat of illness all around us, looking at the death rate rise? Can we worship when our jobs are threatened, when our houses are full and cramped and we are frustrated and anxious, when there is no Sunday service and we are all gathered around these phones and laptops to feel connected to the body of Christ, what limits have we put on our worship to God? By Abraham's act of worship, he became the father of faith. Not just because he had a certain belief, or disposition, spiritual attitude, but because he put his faith into action, because he obeyed God at the risk of losing everything, his faith led to obedience. And by his faith, he was counted as righteous by God, according to Romans 4 and 10. And I believe Abraham, because of his relationship with God, he expected a miracle that day. Um, Hebrews eleven nineteen says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So Abraham, the father of faith, proved that he had the, father, the father's heart in his willingness to give up his son. There's so much we could say about that right there. 
Abraham prophesied that God himself would provide the lamb for a sacrifice. And this points to Jesus. God was very aware of what he was asking Abraham to do because he would feel that agony of the death of his own son 2,000 years later on that same mountain. Jesus would become the lamb. And the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead after being slain did not lessen the father's pain and agony. And even though Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, um, it didn't make it easy to travel up that mountain, bind up his son, lay him on the altar, and raise a knife to murder him. It was a horrific episode. But that was never Abraham's burden to carry. For as Abraham said, God himself would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And in the moment just before Abraham Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac, God spoke from the heavens and he called out, he stopped him, Abraham, don't hurt him. Now I know that you fear God. And there he provided a ram stuck in the bushes for the sacrifice. Not the lamb, but there was a ram. For the lamb of God would be slain on that same mountain for our redemption, paying the price of God's wrath for all of mankind so that we could come to him freely. That is why God is deserving of our worship That is why, because he made the ultimate sacrifice. Now, just as a side note, because I know some of you are thinking, um, I, I feel the need to call out that God condemns human sacrifice. He later spoke to his people through the prophets against acting as the pagan nations who would sacrifice their children, burning them in the fire. This exchange with Abraham was a unique test of his faith and more importantly, a foreshadowing of God giving his only begotten son. So let's, re- let's read a little further in Genesis 22. Let's go to 13 and 14. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham walked with God for many years and he had seen his wonderful works. But God still had more to show him, even in his old age. God wants to bring some things to life for you, whether you are 15, 50, 150. If you're still breathing and you're listening to this, God is speaking to you. After all God had done for Abraham on the Mount of Moriah in an act of worship, God revealed himself in a new way as Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God has a beautiful way of unveiling himself when we worship him. 
when we draw close to him in prayer, when we listen and obey. People of God, wherever you are, God is not through with you. You have not seen all of him. There is still more to be revealed. There is still a depth in God that you have not yet tapped into. He invites you. He invites all of us into more. David Peterson says in his book, Engaging with God, a Biblical Theology of Worship, throughout the Bible, acceptable worship means approaching or engaging with God on the terms that he, opposed, that he proposes and in the matter that he makes possible. It involves honoring, serving, and respecting him, abandoning any loyalty or devotion that hinders an exclusive relationship with him. Worship is more fundamentally faith expressing itself in obedience and adoration. Consequently, in both Old and New Testaments, it is often shown to be a personal and moral fellowship with God, relevant to every sphere of life. So how do we live this out? Jesus gives us insight on worship when speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 20 through 23 and 24 say, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus mentioned this type of spirit and truth worship to the Samaritan woman at the well, right when she began to struggle with her own truths. After exposing the fact that she had had five husbands and the man she was living with at the time wasn't even her husband, she seemed to deflect the conversation, uh, maybe out of shame or some embarrassment or to quickly change the subject, or maybe she was just desperate to connect with this man. But when the woman asked about the appropriate place for worship, Jesus doesn't waste this opportunity. She wanted to know whether the Jews were right to worship at the temple in Jerusalem or are the Samaritans right to worship on Mount Gerizim. Um, just like we might ask, do we have to be in a church? Do we raise our hands? Do we sing loudly? Is it okay to dance um, or, or do we stand still so as not to distract other people from this sacred moment? Do we cry silently? What is the appropriate way to worship? So Jesus responds to her by saying, the father desires worshipers not in a particular place with a particular physical posture, but he's seeking worshipers who will be spiritually minded, honest about themselves, yet affirming the truth of what God says about them and who he is. Imagine this woman, the reality of her present situation being rejected and abandoned over and over again, feeling unwanted, that reality colliding with the truth that the Savior has come. Not only has he come, but he is present with her now and offering living water so that she never thirsts again. And he's inviting her 
into worship. She is loved. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give God, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And just so that sticks, let's, let's read it in a paraphrased version. Let's go to the message uh, Bible. Again, Romans 12, one through two. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Worship. Worship is the way that we live. It's hearing God and obeying him daily. It's allowing the spirit to transform your thinking, your attitudes, and behaviors so, so that his character, his heart, his wisdom become visible in your life. It's the sacrifice and it's the altar. For the believer today, worship requires the Spirit of God. Some things we can only do by the power of His Spirit. God's own Spirit enables us to bow low in worship, to get rid of pride, selfishness, anger, hatred, deceitfulness, and lust. Everything that causes us to puff ourselves up against God. Considering the fact that our actions, our thoughts, our obedience to God are acts of worship. Let's ask ourselves a few questions. How do I worship God in my relationships with my friends and family? How do I worship God in my finances? How do I invite God into my job, my career, uh, my work outside of the church? Is God glorified in the way I treat my children, my spouse? Is he pleased by my thoughts toward others? Do I humble myself and submit to God when I'm tempted to be prideful and take control? Is my life an act of worship? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying these areas in your life must be perfect. In fact, they may be areas of constant struggle, but that doesn't mean that God isn't present. 
He is inviting you into deeper intimacy with him to lay down sin and waits in exchange for his peace and an opportunity to know him in ways you've never known him before. This week, this week has been a testimony for me. I, I have personally dealt with grief over lost relationships that I thought would last a lifetime. I've been angry and frustrated to see abuse to my loved ones um, and feeling powerless to help. And so I'm, I'm not speaking general statements. These are real life issues that I had to lay down this week, that I had to lay down at the altar and say, God, I'm giving this to you. While trying to prepare a sermon, I felt depleted and empty with nothing to give. And so my only recourse was to give this to God because I can't handle it. Because it's too heavy to carry. And I heard God say, I'm teaching you how to worship me. I'm teaching you how to lean in in tough circumstances. Worship is not just for a moment. It is not just for a season, but it is a lifetime. It is a, an everyday life, an everyday communion and fellowship with the Father. So I laid down my idols. I laid down my weights. I laid down my desire to be in control. And as an act of worship, I determined not to spend another day distracted from his presence and spending time with him and being loved by him. I cannot allow my intimacy with him to be disrupted. And so just this week, after laying those things down, I felt God's grace and his provision in such a beautiful way. Yes, our prayer, our singing, songs, and psalms, whether we lay prostrate, whether we lift our hands, or whether we're sitting silently and just listening, all of those things are part of our worship to the Father. And so we come together and we usher in his presence by preparing our hearts to receive everything he has to say and everything he wants to do. Because we need a spirit to truly worship. We need his spirit to come in and be present among us. We need his spirit to transform our hearts and our minds so that our sacrifice is a sweet fragrance in his nostrils so that our sacrifice is a beautiful melody in his ear. So when we come together for worship, it is an extension of the lives we have lived all week. When we gather in just a few weeks, we're not coming together just because we miss everyone. We're not coming together just because it's nice to do what we used to do before the pandemic. We're coming together out of an expression of what we've lived this whole time and what God's been doing in us, what he's been teaching us, how he's been molding us and transforming us. And we're coming together to bring all of these experiences together. And we're all offering them up on the altar. And we're saying, God, you can take all of these things 
And God, I lay down all of my joys and my celebrations, all of my disappointments, all of my grief, all of my sadness, all of my pain. God, everything that I am, I lay it down on the altar. And I submit to you, God, and I worship you. We worship you. Father, thank you. Thank you. God, sometimes it it seems like worship would just be for you and that we're bowing low and, and we're giving to you. But God, you give us so much when we worship you. God, you pour into us when we worship you. God, you feed us. You move us. You change us. You heal us. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship. And so, Father, as we're gathered all around the city, all over the world, still in one place because we're in worship, we're in you. I pray that you would touch your people. God, that each of us would lean in a little bit more that each of us would go a little bit deeper, that each of us, God, would dig our heels in a little bit more, that we would experience the joy that you have for us, that the pain of the sacrifice would be outweighed with the glory of your presence. So we thank you and we love you. We honor you. Let's honor him.